Welcome to the Audiences Podcast, the show that helps you discover new audiences and learn how to develop your own. I'm your host, Francesco Dorazio. I'm the founder and CEO of Pulsar, an audience intelligence platform for researchers, marketeers, and PR professionals. And I'm Sal Morton, producer of the Audiences Podcast and person in charge of keeping us all on track. So what's the podcast about, Fran? So every episode focuses on a cultural trend, an idea, a brand, or a new emerging behavior, and ask our expert guest three simple questions about it. Who's the audience of the thing? How has that audience evolved over the past few years? And where is it going next? So this episode is the audience of fandoms with Andy Chrysell from CrowdDNA. Uh, how was that talking to him? So this one was another really interesting one because, um, I mean, fandom is kind of like uh, the, the bread and butter of what, um, what we do at Pulsar anyway as part of starting audiences. But it was really interesting to uh, discuss this with Andy because Andy has done a lot of studies on um, fandom with CrowdDNA. And uh, the reason why it was interesting to look at fandom in the context of audiences is because fandom has gone mainstream over the last 10, 15 years. And um, every, even in terms of language, everyone expresses being interested into something as being a fan of something. And if you think about it, it's quite the opposite of what uh, fandom used to be uh, when it kind of like originally became popular as a concept. Uh, so it's quite interesting to discuss um, with Andy how the idea of fandom has evolved over time, what does the kind of like um, uh, fandom audience look like today and where is it going next? Um, and um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was, uh, Andy has got a very interesting uh, perspective on it because you've seen it from the music business when he was a music journalist and that he moved into a more kind of like um, research role with crowd DNA. So he's got like both end of the spectrum as someone that was in it mm-hmm. in the music business as a music journalist uh, to yeah. someone that is actually studying it. Yeah, he's got some great insights. There's one thing though that you didn't get into in the conversation, which is what I want to know now, which is what are you a fan of? friend oh what am i a fan of um, yeah like what fandom are you in are you in any fandoms yeah i have been a fan of i mean this is a very predictable but i'm a fan of uh, science fiction or i've been reading science fiction from the 30s the 40s the 50s the 60s i've been consuming all of that i'm a fan of dub music uh, as in uh, the heavy bass uk sound which actually is what brought me to london in the first place when i was 14 and i started buying records in the uk because at the time uh, you couldn't buy them everywhere, and um, and I'm a fan of techno. So there you go. <laughs> nice. So from science fiction to techno, that's very distinct fandoms to be part of, um, which I'm sure uh, we'll shed some more light on in the upcoming conversation. Um, shall we get into it? Shall we? Let's do it. So Andy's someone that understands this space of fandoms really well. So he's the founder and CEO at Cultural Insights and Innovation Agency Crowd DNA. That's been your bag for the last 15 years. I know that you've been working with the likes of Nike, Ikea, Twitch, Disney, Sony Music, Facebook, Twitter, Red Bull, Peroni, uh, so many, so many more. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, Crowd DNA before we uh, dive into fandoms? 
Yeah, for sure. So I started the agency 15 years ago. There was three of us at the beginning. There's about 100 of us now in seven cities around the world. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, culture really is our thing. And, and broadly, what we're trying to do is get our clients to not just think about customers and competitors and the category they're in, but to, to look more broadly across culture, because we think that's where you can find both opportunities and, and threats. Um, and we mm -hmm. apply that kind of approach to everything, sort of brand positioning and uh, campaign and comms development all the way through to, to the products and experiences that our clients create. So we get to do lots of lovely, very sort of progressive, forward-facing stuff. You know, we're not the sort of agency you come to to just test whether it's the, the red one or the green one to, to go to market with. So yeah, it's, it's fun stuff. Where does the name CrowdDNA come from? It came out of my head and means not much, really, other than it means lots of lots of different things. That it can mean what you want it to mean. I like names like that. You know, it's uh, kind of a couple of interesting words that, that come together. You can you can sort of draw your own meanings. Uh, it seems to have gone down well. Early days, everyone used to talk a lot about are you a crowdsourcing agency, but that seems that moment seems to have since passed. Oh, no. Now we've we've ridden that storm. Something else that you've done is long term studies into how people shape their identities. And you kind of had a start in music journalism, re, uh, writing about subcultures, things like this. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about your involvement with fandoms in the in the long term. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, sort of a little bit unwittingly, but fandom and, and fan culture has been pretty much a constant in my in my work in my profession, if I can call music journalism profession. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, going all the way back to to when I was a, a music and sort of subculture journalist, I was interviewing everyone from obscure techno artists through to the mainstream or the relatively mainstream from, you know, Madonna, Eminem, Wu-Tang Clan, Jay-Z, and, and fan culture was a part of this. And I suppose it's been really interesting to, to chart that fan journey. Um, and, and going back then, even though I generalize a little bit, I think there was quite a strange blend of people being both enthralled by the fact they had fans, but also slightly terrified of them, a bit suspicious of them. You know, uh, I think fans weren't necessarily as embraced as they are today, certainly not by, not by all artists. So I think there's been an interesting progression. And as I think we'll come on to talk about, a bit of a, a change in the power balance as well between the fan and the fan object, as it's, as it's called in sort of fan academia circles. So shall we shall we start kind of like diving into the the, the whole fandom discussion then? Mm. Um, I think let's start. It's always good to start from the um, a definition or at least kind of like a shared understanding of what is the what is the subject. So uh, how would you define fandom and what is the profile of a fan? What does being a fan mean is there a profile of the fan today was there one in the past hmm. yeah i mean i guess if we start with some some real basics the term fan is is short of course for fanatic and it sort of broadly speaking refers to someone that has a strong passion for uh it could be a sports team it could be a an artist a, a musician but it could be more than that it could be you know an individual person it could be a brand uh, all, all manner of different uh, areas and and that's certainly broadening as well um and then as well as fan, you have a fandom, and a fandom refers to a fan domain. And while fan domains used to be relatively niche, quite closed, quite isolated, quite a lot has been happening there, no surprise that digital is one of the big drivers that has sort of changed the nature of fandoms. Um, and fans and, and fandom is sort of viewed as a post-industrial aspect of modern society. It's something that 
improves your relationship with yourself, which is to do with sort of self-perception, and it can improve your relationship with others, which is to do with social currency. Um, but what has changed and is changing very dramatically is social media, digital, etc., has just made fandom become much more visible, um, much more connected than they they once were before. So you can be bring you, you know you can bring together fans around the world. They can share their passions. Um, and they have a lot more power than they once did. So all of that is changing. In terms of a specific profile of the fan today, I think they're actually becoming maybe less specific. I think I think fans are are kind of broadening out into lots and lots of different typologies from from where they once were, um, and they're also breaking away from some of the some of the stereotypes and narrow definitions of fans and fandom that have made sense in the past. It sounds like there's been a um a transition from a fandom as something that describes um, a specific category of person to fandom as uh, a behavior that actually applies to anyone. And it's not something that society describes a category of person anymore because it's way broader than that. I'd agree. Yeah, I think it has been democratized and it's more acceptable to be a fan, whether you actually use the fan word or not. It's more acceptable to... Uh, to be passionate about things that maybe once were niche and to, and to talk about that with others. You know, it, it, it's a reflection of your identity. It's a reflection of your, your own personal creativity, your self-expression. So I think a lot has changed there. I, I suppose there's a, there's a, the needs behind why people want to be a fan are probably quite consistent, but uh, the manifestations of being a fan are, are what have changed a lot. Why don't we talk about those needs then directly? Because I think that helps identifying this switch from having a passion to being a fan, because you mm. can simply say you're passionate about something, but today being a fan seems to be way more common as the way of describing yourself than being passionate about something. So what are the, the drivers of find, fandom that you've seen in, the, in, in, in all these years that you've been studying fandoms? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some quite clearly defined needs of, of what people get from being a, a fan. And these are often the, the kind of the building blocks, the factors that we might begin our research with. And it's things like identification, enjoyment, social currency, belonging, self-expression, empowerment. Being a fan can can deliver on all of these. But I guess what gets really interesting is, is sort of breaking them down into, you know, what does that mean in the context of music versus sport versus you know, anything sort of uh, eating competitions or, or whatever it may be, all these sort of weird little niches of fandom. Um, so these are the sort of building blocks. These are the things that we would often begin uh, exploring in our, in our research and look at what kind of opportunities there may be for the, for the brand, for the media owner, for the client to, to sort of deliver against each of these. That's really interesting. It makes me think back to what you said about the digital again, kind of making fandoms uh, accessible for everyone and that kind of need for connection and those spaces of being connection can be in the mainstream or they can be in a very, very niche area, like you said, of like eating challenges or maybe that is mainstream now, I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, does that change the way that we're fans, whether it's like a huge mainstream thing? I mean, if you think about the Avengers, the Marvel Universe being one of the biggest fandoms in the world. I mean, I think I think probably the the difference between mainstream and niche is is less clear than it than it once was. You know, um, these days something can be niche, but it can have a, a global following to it, and because of that, it achieves a certain scale. Um, I think maybe once upon a time there was more of a tension between subculture and, and mainstream. You you couldn't be into both; it was one or the other. I think these days audiences are much more receptive to to both being part of mainstream and part of niche. Um, I don't think it necessarily changes 
fan behaviors. I think the motivations behind being a fan are exactly the same. There's that same sense of empowerment, that same sense of engagement, whether it's a, a very mainstream uh, fan object or a, a more niche one. Let's go back to, um, we jump straight into the fandom and the definition of fandoms. Like obviously you've come across this through many years of studying mm -hmm. this phenomenon. And can you, can you take us through some of the studies that you've done just to give the audience a sense of like what angle you've investigated this from and uh, what, has, what has that added to your understanding of fandom and how it's changing? Yeah, I mean, I think fandom and exploring it has definitely been a recurring theme at CrowdDNA pretty much since the start. Um, one of our early early projects, or actually one I brought from my previous agency, was called UK Tribes, which is a project we did for Channel 4 around youth culture. Yeah, um, I remember that. Ran for about 10 years, and it was looking at the, the sort of tribal nature of youth culture, and a lot of that really was around... Uh, around fandom, what are the themes, the sort of the cultural centers of gravity, in particular in a world where, you know, everything was fragmenting, whereas once upon a time there was maybe sort of one or two or three big youth tribes who were entering a phase where there was a 101 youth tribes and they may well change with every passing day. Um, we have had a lot of briefs where fandom is literally in the title. Um, so I remember a really early one for ITV where we look at different types of fan communities, everything from I'm a celebrity to, to Downton Abbey. And it was really fascinating looking at the, the sort of commonalities and differences between fan communities that form around those kinds of uh, IP. Um, we did a big piece for Twitter back in better days for Twitter when we were looking at music fandom around the world um, and we kind of came came to these sort of three ages of, of music fandom um, one was the kind of the pre-internet fan which was the fan that really had a, a lack of access to the to the fan object um, was almost waiting for those sort of those those occasional moments when the the artist would sort of you know give them something to to act on to go with and that was a time when brands and media were pretty suspicious of fans you know they talked about in sensationalized forms uh, fandom was something to grow out of not to not to grow into um, and then you had a sort of a second phase of, of the fan as we saw it, which was the age of the fan community, which we felt began in the, the 1980s where as sort of mass media and mu music media started to blossom. And at this point, uh, brands and artists were, were thinking about fans and fan communities in more advanced ways. And I think that sort of run, I guess you could say, from the birth of MTV to the, to the birth of MySpace. Um, and then we had what we were describing when we did the study, which is way back in 2015, as the final stage was the age of the fan ecosystem, which is where fans were starting to kind of communicate more amongst themselves, really. It wasn't always about a relationship between the fan and the, the fan object. Um, lots and lots more platforms for fans to be, to be using, uh, different kind of ways for brands to engage in in fandom as well so yeah that was what we got to in 2015 and i think we could you know quite competently say that that has continued since since there and that idea of a fan ecosystem of different fan networks and communities overlapping with each other has, has continued ever since so so you're looking at fandom as kind of like the evolution of fandom as these three phases when it goes from like a passion but something that is relatively frowned upon and then it moves into a community that gets global over time, especially with the internet. But it starts with actually mass media embracing fandom as an audience worth kind of like focusing on. And then you say it migrates into the MySpace and the social networks as that kind of like global community platform. And now you're saying we're kind of like in this ecosystem stage 
uh, where fandom has a lot more kind of like um, ownership and involvement in the whole process of being a fan of something. So what what do you think are the stereotypes about fandom that have been left behind in terms mm. of like perceptions that have shifted and things that people are not afraid to um, be anymore or that people do not associate anymore to fans? Yeah, I mean, I guess the sort of the very entrenched perceptions and tropes were that to be a fan meant you were a screaming teenager, you were crazy, you were you were not you were not thinking straight, or, or potentially there was something quite nerdy about it as well. You know, that those those were two of the very sort of strong stereotypes that were there. And as I said, it's something that you grow out of, not something to be proud of, and to to grow into and to to make an even stronger part of yourself. Um, so I think. Uh, I think a lot has changed there. I wanted to um, ask you as well, when we've spoken before, you've talked about fandom being a threat, mm. and uh, you mentioned it earlier as well, and a threat to particular, in particular IP, so people mm. recreating parts of fandom and the fans not being seen as um, an asset mm. to the brand or to the artist. Um, one example you used was uh, Sherlock Holmes. I think mm. that was a really good example of uh, was it it was fans writing sherlock holmes mm. fiction and this is in the 70s this is way before the digital boom of fans and we're seeing that now as well right kind of the appropriation of yeah. um kind of fan art fan writing things like this are you thinking that that contention has been left behind or are brands folding fandom into their ip in a way? i think they're i think they increasingly are i guess the power of fandom while not necessarily a new thing i think word of it has gravitated higher up the ranks within big media organizations within brands so people are in embracing it more for sure um yeah i mean i guess a lot of this in a sense is, isn't new it's just the scale it can be done that's new you know you can look back at Sci-fi, which is one of the earliest manifestations of of fan culture in sort of mid twentieth century, and that's where that's where fanzines first emerged from, was part of uh, sci-fi world. You know, it was uh, it was a merger of fans and, and magazines coming together to create their own their own sort of energy around it. Um, so, I guess increasingly we are seeing brands and, and media owners and, and IP being handed over to, to the fans. I and mean, I think there's a really interesting example with Stranger Things where fans decided which of the, the more sort of peripheral characters were most interesting and that they then got sort of uplifted in um, subsequent uh, series of, of Stranger Things. Um, so, yeah, there's things changing there. I, I, I still think it's an interesting challenge for, for brands to hand over that control. Some brands are good at it. Um, others aren't. I think Apple's an interesting example of a company that still struggles to, to hand over its IP to sort of co-create in any, any way. But then you've got someone like Gucci, who, you know, who would have thought 10 years ago that a brand like Gucci would be kind of moving in the sort of spaces it is and getting involved in the kind of collaborations that it is. I think that's an interesting um, trajectory as well that is parallel to fandom that uh, has enabled fandom and the perception that we have of fandoms today which is the which is the way the web has been built this whole idea of kind of like um user generated content or mm. this whole idea of kind of like um uh ratings coming from peers and this idea of kind of like uh rewarding expertise on pretty much anything to rank noise on the web into content that you should consume it's actually something that has created that 
context for fandoms to emerge as a as a force for good, not just as a as a niche entrenched audience that you want to mm. please, but up to a certain point. And it's now actually become you know the audience that decides what you see on a social network, or the audience that decides what video you get recommended to you, because or the audience that kind of like you know provides ratings for movies and TV shows and uh, mm. get them com- and compares them against the kind of like uh, ratings that you get from a critic. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and, and most of the times, turns out the critic is actually a lot less connected to what the audience likes and feels than the than the than the fan in general. So mm. I think there's been a, so a general yeah, yeah. kind of like a raising of the profile of the of the user, like the cult of the amateur, like Andrew Keane used to describe it. You know what that's exactly like? Is it's like the um... It's like a Rotten Tomato score for a film is held in such high regard right? and they've split it into critics and audience. And I think that mm. a lot of the time people will be, unless maybe they're a mega film buff, if they're looking to see if this film's going to be interesting to them, they'll be looking not at the critic score, but at the audience mm. score, right? It seems, a, it seems a very long time ago, the days when I was a music journalist and people would be hanging on whether a journalist gave an album six out of 10 or eight out of 10, you know, <laughs> so there are just so many uh, different sources of inspiration that are coming through. And I guess the, the trajectory there is from fans having a voice, having an influence, increasingly having a sense of ownership as well. And maybe that's the next stage of what technology will provide to them, some sort of co-ownership of the of the fan object well, kind of i mean i don't know if we want to get into nfts do we friend do we want to get into nfts well, let's do that i think we must when it comes to fandoms <laughs> so how do you think that ownership uh trajectory is going to play out obviously there's been for the last few years um a number of experiments in the nft space mm. um some of which worked really well like for example the matrix experiment with the release of the mm. of the movie uh others have kind of like um not generated uh much of an output um generally a lot of those efforts rely on being really good at community development and mm. uh being able to create momentum around assets but um where do you see those directions because ownership is one of the main trajectories that have um changed the way fandoms play into ip yeah for sure i mean i i think um there probably needs to be an improved accessibility to the to the kind of platforms and approaches. You know, NFTs lack that accessibility, probably. But I think the general the general principles of of technology allowing um, for more of a sense of sort of fan created economies for, for that sort of decentralization is is sort of is only going to grow. Um, I think what's interesting there is when you you look at platform platforms like I think it's Revel X Y Z, which uh, is a platform that allows people to sort of co-own the the music that musicians are making, have a financial stake in their in their success. All of that stuff slowly but surely will permeate through to to, to wider audiences. Um, and again, even though this manifestation is new, I think it a lot of it just plays back into quite sort of long-standing fan behaviors fan interests you know there's nothing in itself new about fans having ownership there's uh, there are sports clubs the green bay packers barcelona uh, are owned by the fans to some extent so it's really just allowing that sense of ownership for 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 a next generation delivered through different kind of platforms and in a in a certainly more kind of fluid way this episode is sponsored by pulsar What is Pulsar? Pulsar uses AI to analyze live data from the web and the media to help you understand people at scale and with nuance. 
We're talking about social media like X, Instagram, Reddit, Pinterest, YouTube, as well as search data and any media from TV and radio to print news and podcasts. And of course, you can bring your own audience data like NPR or CRM to analyze alongside everything else. Brands like Amazon, agencies like McCann, media outlets like The Guardian and organizations like the UN use Pulsar to understand their audiences and create products and messages that matter to them. If you'd like to get a live signal from your audience, get in touch at pulsarplatform.com. So if we look at these directions of change for where fandom is going next, we've mainly been talking about community and how mm. fandoms come together. We're talking about autonomy and what fandoms can do with the IP that um, they can co-create with the brands that they work with. And we're talking about equity. What mm. do they actually own and how that kind of like uh, co-ownership evolves over time. But do you think brands are kind of like well-equipped to deal with this new profile of fandom that we have today? Or do you think there's still a lot of work to be done for it to be able to leverage that passion? Yeah, I mean, I guess inevitably there's probably brands at all uh, stages of, of uh, development and cognizance here. And it, it's, it's probably quite a dilemma for brands, really. You know, some brands... Um, have, a, have something that, that people are fans of. You know, and maybe they're a sneaker brand and people are literally fans of that thing and they can, they can have a sense of control over that. Another brand, it might be a complete accidental thing. Maybe there's a, a food product that suddenly a whole bunch of people jump on and becomes a, a kind of a fan item. So that's, a, that's an interesting challenge for them, how, how you deal with accidental fandom. Um, but there's not many brands that necessarily have the IP themselves that, that people are, are fans of. So then what are they doing? Are they, are they working out what kind of value they can provide to fans? You know, are they trying to engage with the fan IP themselves to, to provide the value? It's interesting, isn't it? Because if we think about fandoms being so closely related to uh, merchandise and collecting, so people collecting things from their fandom, we all see we've all seen those articles where um, oh, it would be like you know, super fan collects every Star Wars item ever been on sale, and their entire five bedroom house is full of Star Wars memorabilia. Mm-hmm. I remember when the first kind of Netflix films and Netflix shows started being created. For example, when Stranger Things first came out, it had not a drop of merchandise, and now it's part of some of the biggest mm-hmm. brand collaborations. They've got video game collaborations with things like Dead by Daylight. They've got clothing collaborations with shops like Primark you know, brands leverage, trying to let people collect it. Obviously, equity is kind of the next reasonable step of that, isn't it? It's kind of, oh, you don't need to collect the things. You can collect Stranger Things. You can have a stake in Stranger Things. You mm. don't need a T-shirt. You can you can have a bit of Stranger Things. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess collecting, again, has always been there in, in fandom. You know, people were collecting baseball, baseball cards over 100 years ago, but there are you know, the ways that people can collect are now manifold. There are so many different formats and, and, and sort of, yeah, styles that people can can buy into. But, yeah, I suppose if this is about investment mm. in a way, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, it's sort of emotional investment, but maybe there's a, there's a financial investment aspect here as well. You want, to, you want to back the things that you're a fan of. And, you know, if you are passionate about them, if you're investing into them yourself, you want to see some, some kind of return as well, potentially. There's a cultural investment as well, isn't there? Because fandom being such a huge part of your yeah. identity, both privately, internally to yourself, but also publicly, you know, if you're wearing a piece of merchandise or if you're going to an event that is to do with the, the fandom, whether that's a gig or mm-hmm. um, a movie screening or just like a fan gathering, a fan event. We're seeing this kind of shift, though, aren't we, from 
people being a fan of one huge thing. And I guess maybe mm. this is a, a fandom's prior association with nerdiness or uh, fangirling, you know, over, you know, I'm a Elvis fan, I'm a Beatles fan, but we're not seeing such a homogeneity in the fandoms that people are a part mm. of. People can be fans of 10 different things at once and kind of split out their identity in, in multiple mm. things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess it's a more sort of sophisticated landscape in a way. People are, are fans of multiple things at once as, as they move through different life stages. Maybe their fandom of one one fan item increases another one may decrease and there's a lot of venn diagram stuff type stuff going on here as well just kind of interesting collisions between different fan areas you know uh, i think interesting ones in sport are the way that nba and mm. and then football or soccer and then fashion those kind of things are kind of merging together um or there was game of game of thrones characters reimagined as nba players so all of these kind of weird mashups are allowing people to exhibit uh, multiple fandoms alongside each other just on one last um just to wrap things up one last uh odd um kind of like insight for the audience what is in all these years of starting fandom if you can think about it um what is one odd things that you found people are fan of like that comes to mind have you find like the weirdest oddest niches things that as a fandom because you can pretty much uh i'll give you some time to mm. think about this question <laughs> does anything come to mind because um you know what like what we're looking at today is just an endless long tail of different niches and communities kind of like aggregating around those niches and uh, to an extent what i find unique about products today that we can see the audiences of those products so well is the audience that actually coalesces mm. around those things it's not the product in itself it's the idea that that product brings to life and that matches a bunch of people that end up finding something in common across different countries languages and that's what is incredible about fandom mm. does anything come to mind that mind that you were surprised to see at a fandom built around it um I remember interviewing in West Coast America a bunch of people, guys, all guys actually, who were so into aliens that they created a, a whole kind of world of, of their own aliens. They created suits and they would they would turn up at various locations late at night in, in California and all get out of a van and walk around dressed as, <laughs> dressed as aliens. Uh, <laughs> and, and often the police would turn up, but they, they had this passion for, for trying to live the lives of, of aliens if aliens had just arrived on, on planet Earth. Uh, that, that struck me as a... Oh, which is the land landing one. experience. It would be yeah, them landing exactly. as aliens. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would it be like? We've we just landed in, you know, Fresno. Uh, what, what would the first hour be like? And they were, they were, they were trying to... They were were trying they to filming these? Can we, can we see these films anywhere? Yeah, maybe. I can... Let me try and find some links. They, they were definitely filming this stuff, yeah. I've got yeah. to see it. This is genius. If any listeners are interested in seeing those videos, we'll put the links <laughs> in the show notes if we can find them. If we can find this niche, yeah. niche videos. <laughs> Amazing. One last question, Fran. Have you got any... Any last thoughts to ask Andy? Yeah, so it sounds like um, from from our um, beautiful conversation, we've been uh, covering a range of different trajectories of change. And the main one for me is that fandom has gone from something niche and, and very specific and, and very um, confined to certain aspects of life to something that is actually quite uh, mainstream 
that applies in multiple ways to multiple types of people. There isn't one single type of fun person anymore. And actually, uh, fandom is not a category of people, but it's actually a behavior that applies to pretty much anything on the mainstream. So the key um, kind of like underlying question for me is, why is it that fandom has got so much popular today what is it what is the underlying trend that has made fandom this popular and uh, if he's got this popular as it is today where do we think he's going to go next hmm. i mean i think one interesting moment from fandom's backstory which for me really illustrates that the journey is is an image of elvis presley i think it must be sometime in the 1950s and it gets used a lot in in fan academia circles in this photo he's throwing a, a white scarf into the audience and it's often described as this moment of of crossing the sacred space between fan and fan objects uh you know and if you fast forward to today just think how often that sacred space is is now crossed there's probably nothing very sacred about it these days uh, and that kind of shows how far fandom has come and and now why we think about the reasons why it's mainstreaming today i mean i think there's a lot of external factors there there is so much instability in the world people really are looking for things to to believe in uh, and maybe it's these things that you're passionate about these things can bring this sense of anchoring this sense of stability that you're not finding elsewhere in the world uh, alongside that it's a much more level playing field these days in terms of how people access information there's a democratization the discovery of of these fan worlds is, is much easier than it was um and then it's also much more socially permissible these days to, to be into these things. You know, you can bring these things to the surface. Um, and in tandem with that, self-expression, creativity, they're much more valued by more people than they once were. So that allows fandom to be a, a more important signifier of you and, you know, what you believe in and what you stand for. And how does this new way of looking at audiences change the way brands are engaging with uh, with their customers? Um, that's quite an interesting shift potentially in the way they're seeing the people they talk to yeah i think what's quite heartening here really is that even if brands are still finding their way in terms of fandom what it what it does imply is that they are willing to think about people audiences consumers customers in more interesting and progressive ways you know they're, they're willing to think about the the kind of the cultures that they're, they're forming around rather than just sort of thinking about them in the in the very old old hat demographic ways of are they are they male are they female are they 21 are they 55 so i think i think that in itself is uh, a really kind of heartening development that's a great thought that's an amazing with. thought to end with thank you so much andy for joining us today it's been so insightful thank you guys it's been great to speak about such a such a fascinating topic and fast changing one yeah and if people are interested by what you've said today where can they find you andy uh probably best to find me via via the crowd dna website that's uh where the easiest place to, to find me awesome thanks for your time andy it was great chatting to you thank you guys thanks so much thanks so much thank you You've been listening to the Audiences Podcast, the podcast that helps you discover new audiences and learn how to develop your own. Me and the team would love to hear your feedback on the episode and on the podcast in general. Let us know which audiences we should explore next or anyone we should get on the show. Do reach out on our social media or email us at hi at audiences.podcast. As always, please rate, review and subscribe. Till next time.